When you look back on your past, when do you think experiential education or adventure education actually started for you? Mm. This question is a bit like asking, you know, when did something happen? You go back far enough, you go back to the kid you <laughs> sat next to in kindergarten. At an informal level, I think the access to experiential, experiential learning was through my father when we would go camping, you know, go fishing and all those sorts of things. I would never have understood it as no. that then. But then more formally, it went through my scouting experiences, went through Cub Scouts, Ventures, you know, mm -hmm. again, would never have regarded that as experiential learning, but yep. absolutely it was that. But I think the most significant pivotal moment in my life at an experiential level was when I went on a youth leadership seminar. It was for four days run by Rotary and again, didn't see it for what it was at the time, but they used an experiential methodology to transform these young people mm -hmm. to to help them realize their potential. And for me, it was a case of chalk and cheese. <laughs> I went in as chalk and came out as cheese. I don't yeah. eat cheese. You understand <laughs> what I mean? And it was that experiential model of reflecting on experiences that was so pivotal. And and I think back to the impact it had on me then is part of the drive for why I've been involved with it for so long now, mm. because I almost want to give people back that experience that I had that was so transformative in my own life to give that to other people. For me, the transformation was about unlocking secrets or unlocking something that was hidden. Again, I, d I didn't understand it was there. Yeah. And I even resisted seriously resisted going on this program because I was yeah. too busy. I had this and that and da, da, da. But I went and yeah. I'm so grateful that I went. But for me, it was unlocking who I really was, my potential, the ability to find out what I could do, what was possible, and also understand that I existed in relation to other people. Mm. You know, so much of my life, and I was a 20-year-old or whatever, it was so much about me. And there's nothing unusual about that story. But when I got who I was in relation to both myself and to others, mm -hmm. yeah, I was a crying, sobbing mess <laughs> because it was it was so revelatory that I learned a bit about who I was and what what was possible for me. I blossomed. Like there was significant differences that people who saw me on a regular basis going, man, what happened? Where have you been? And you're dressing differently, and, mm -hmm. and and that was a significant moment. So it was about just learning more about what I could do. What point did it transition from an experience to now a career path? Mm -hmm. Like, where was the point of, like, now I'm earning money doing this? Yeah, to be fair, I think some of this happened by chance. Through that initial experience as a 20-year-old, my eyes were open to what mm -hmm. was possible. I pursued some studies, uh, which were so unlike who the Mark Collard was before I did this program. But I decided to go overseas and and study for my master's, came to New York and and completed that and then went to a summer camp, you know, highly socialized environment and loved it. All of those were really, were really important. But I came back and worked as a, a management consultant. I leveraged my MBA yeah. and top dollar, tie and collar, the whole thing <laughs> for two years until I lost my job. You know, I, it, it was the, the business went bust. I lost my job. And it was at that moment, that was the next pivotal moment. I could have just found another job, but I'd had this yearning for what I saw 
in temporary community and and the fact that I was in this environment where there were no other Australians for the 12 months I was living, I love the community aspect, the ability to connect with others. I would never have understood that to be a career 30 years ago. But I look back on it now going, they were formative decisions that I decided at that moment when I lost my job, I am going to move back home with my parents and I'm going to see if I can make this work. And initially, I thought I might have just ended up running a summer camp. That's not actually what happened. I never found that opportunity, but a group called Project Adventure, which many of the people, listeners would understand, Mm -hmm. were looking to set up in Australia. And so I became one of the two people who set that up in Australia in the 1990s. I was in the right place at the right time. And that is where I started to learn the skills. At the time, I thought it was magic that the skills of being able to facilitate the experience so that transformation was possible through play, through experiential learning. In the 1980s and 90s, a lot of people got excited about team building and ropes and courses because it was magical and it was fun and it was attractive and made a lot of money, but it also attracted a lot of cowboys and cowgirls who kind of screwed it up for everybody else because there were people hurt in both physical, mental and and emotional ways. Yeah. Now people don't want to go back to it because of those poor experiences. Yeah. So I th- there has absolutely been a maturation of the industry where it's shaken that stuff out and we've become a lot more confident about how these methodologies can be used more powerfully. Yeah. We understand that better now. I think the other thing we need to acknowledge is technology. 30 years ago, it was difficult to let people know about what you do. Uh, if you, unless you stuffed envelopes or made a lot of phone calls. A lot of word of mouth. Expected, yeah. A, yeah, a lot of word of mouth, which if, I think word of mouth is still a very powerful medium. Yeah. But there's no doubt in my mind, my business has benefited from sharing through electronic means. Yeah, And I'm not a big social media person, but just you know, the ability for someone to plug something in and have a video or an activity or a reference to me or my books online that that wasn't possible 30 years ago, and that just helps me share this stuff more widely. That's a perfect segue into the next question, because I enjoy, I've loved going to conferences and watching people present activities and show the case stuff. The thing that I've struggled with, and I think other people often struggle with, is reading an activity in a book and be able to know how it flows, and also know if it's a good activity or a bad. How do you judge it sometimes from mm-hmm. the text? In the, and, and there are some that, even in writing, you could not you could say, this is the best activity in the world, but you read it, you'd never do it because it, it's so hard to describe. And so what I've really loved and appreciated in the last few years is Playmio. For me, it's been something that is for a resource, even before High Five, when it was very new, I remember getting involved in and becoming a member early on and finding immediately this was the right resource for me in terms of a visual ability to be able to see it, um, see how the activities run, see someone actually showcase it. And all of the other stuff that comes with that. But how did Playmio for you start? It came from a realization that the people who turned up at a training got what I had to deliver. And even if, and it's not true today and it wasn't true 30 years ago, but even if Melbourne, Australia was my only market, I don't have enough life in me to get to every single teacher, corporate trainer, camp leader, youth worker in Melbourne alone in order to be able to have these people get what I've got to share. So then writing books made sense. That way I didn't have to turn up and there's a way for people to access this information. So I've now written five books, but the first book was the first chance to actually share this beyond my little circle of influence. And then it became 
you know, you've got a few books out and it's like a musician. They ask me when your last album came out, it's like, when's your next album coming out? It's like, oh man, if you, if you knew how much effort there was in writing a book. So I started a blog. So this was in 2010. The internet was definitely powering up and I'm writing a blog and just basically posting each week. Hey, I've come across this new idea. Here's a variation of something I know. Here's a video I saw of something. And it was literally successful. Yep. Within two years, tens of thousands of people were visiting every month. And then they started saying, this is awesome. You should be charging for this. I had no intention, but it made sense. Mm-hmm. And it was only a blog. It wasn't a database. Mm-hmm. And then I really got, we don't need any more activity books. We have enough activity mm-hmm. books out there. And I simply can't fit them in my back pocket. So how do I remember all this stuff? And I would often turn up at a train going, you know what? I'd like to try that activity, but I can't remember it. If I don't have the book on me, but I've got my mobile phone, mm-hmm. I got my cell phone in my back pocket. So giving access digitally to this mm-hmm. information. And like you said, the ability to to look at a video tutorial and see someone who has done this with a real group in the course of a minute or two going, ah, that's what it looks like. That's what it sounds like. And that's what it feels like. And that was the part I didn't, I wasn't convinced on in the beginning. I didn't get, I thought you had to turn up to get it. But then, and now it's really clear to me, watching a video, people get it. Like you can, yep. people are laughing at the jokes and they're, they're getting a sense of the feely energy yeah. that was coming from a video. And so- that's how it started. It was in 2012, so two years after yep. the blog came out, was to formally put together a proper database, a searchable database, so that people could find this information and then become a repository, a, a clearinghouse for, and happily now people contribute all around the world. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's no longer the Mark Collard show. You know, I still am a significant part of it because it started with my books, yep. but now it has many, many dozens, hundreds of other activities from stuff outside of my sphere. We live in a world where it's not necessary to remember stuff, as long as you know where to go for it. And that's why I think we get significant amount of traffic from people who just want to visit to find that information. They get that this is transformative. Okay, so I want more. What are the other activities? Or if you've read something in your book, I know, you know, for example, the latest book I've written has a QR code on every single activity. You flash that with your, your camera of your phone, it takes you straight to the database and you can see it at play. You know, it's not just a write-up now. It's not step-by-step. It's like, here's two minutes of the video and you can actually see the activity actually working. Uh, and they get it. They get that feeling, but they can also then go, oh, now I remember how to play it. I didn't have to remember it. I could just look at it. Where do you see us going in 10, 15, 20 years as, a, as an industry? A continuing maturation. I think we've got to get over ourselves and understand that technology can actually assist us. Look, I'm one of them uh, and, and I'm Parts of me still need to be convinced, but I still feel we have, we feel that we have to keep turning up. But turning up has different formats now. And so I have to accept that people really get the value of something digitally, like through a video or a podcast or through some other means to understand that that maturation also means that there are other ways of delivering content. Just just a month ago, I delivered a class in Tennessee from Melbourne, Australia. I was just on a screen. They could hear me. It was live. The camera was skewed so I could see most of the classroom and conducted a 45-minute lesson. It worked brilliant, but I didn't turn up. I wasn't there, but it worked great. It worked really well. And so identifying different ways of making technology work mm-hmm. for us, I think, is something that I believe is in our future. Because I think we've always thought that we had to turn up. Experiences meant you had to be there. Otherwise, you didn't get it. I'm not sure that's the truth. I think it's it, there's certainly a lot of truth in that. <laughs> I think this is more of an aspiration than I think what I would expect to see. Yeah. An aspiration is embracing more educational realms. Mm. 
to truly introduce experiential learning and adventure-based learning uh, into education. Yeah. Uh, because presently, I know in parts of Australia, it's just seen as a subject. It's not a subject, it's a methodology. Mm-hmm. And whether you're a math teacher, PE teacher, language teacher, I've worked in China where they do they teach opera singing in school. No matter what your content is, it benefits from connection. And that you know, that's been a mantra of mine for a long time, to connect before content. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a wonderful vehicle to make that happen. To allow it to happen is to use group games and activities for that purpose. So it's an aspiration of mine. It's a tough nut to crack because it's hard for teachers and school administrators to hear me say that. And all they can actually hear me say is add more responsibilities. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's not it. I think we need to get better at how we educate uh, and how we communicate, how we articulate mm-hmm. what we do so that it can actually turn up in a classroom and it doesn't have to be on a ropes course. Yeah. It's actually a, a, a medium, a, a methodology that can help you teach math. We know that, but I don't know that we do that very well. And actually, I know we don't do that very well. My parents, 30 years later, still don't know what I do. And, I, and I'm looking forward to my six-year-old son as to how he describes yeah. to his friends and whoever what his daddy does because he looks at daddy who's often at home because yeah. not always engaged on a job thinking that this is what every other daddy does and I'm pretty unique in yeah. regard so not only in terms of the time I spend but also how I spend it the next series of questions are going to be a little bit we've gone serious now we're going to go a little bit off in terms of nonsensical possibly some sensical but so I should take my seatbelt off <laughs> okay. now, right. now, now that my hands are clearly off the wheel we're going to be able to go into some questions and I think I ask people just to go first thing that pops to your mind don't contemplate it too deeply I'm not assessing your psychological dispositions first question name a movie that you enjoyed as a child I, I swear I think I was born when I was 22 but uh, as a child look the first one that comes to mind is Pinocchio really Disney yeah. cartoon I'm sure there were ones earlier but I had very few memories of when I was very young Pinocchio, Pinocchio. vivid memories of that going to the drive-in with oh. my parents and uh, watching video, I've uh, video, a uh, film of Pinocchio, the yeah. animated feature. Frightened by the donkey scene? Oh, no. No? No, I don't think so. I can't remember the donkey scene, but um, it gets transformed into a donkey. For me, I think scary. Your son is six? Yep. Has he been introduced to the world of Disney movies? or A couple of them, yeah. A couple of them. We limit his screen time yep. quite severely. He would say it severely. So we've seen a couple, most recently Moana. If you had to live the remainder of your life as an animated character, who would it be? Working off the basis of my six and a half year old would be uh, Lego Batman. Lego Batman. But I wouldn't be Lego Batman. That's what I'd be. His answer. That would be him? I would go Emmett. Yeah, it would be Lego. It would be Emmett because he's unassuming. He follows the instruction. That's who I am in many respects. But then life is awesome. You know, everything is awesome, but everything is awesome. But then he breaks out of that mold. And I think of many parts of my life where I have definitely not conformed. I've gone outside of the ordinary. That would be my character. Emmett. Awesome. Never been asked that. Big. Never thought about it. I was once asked that someone, I framed the question of a would you rather, and the person I was asking said, well, these are both negative. These are both bad. Well, that's sometimes the case of would you rather. You're not getting a positive and negative option. Mm-hmm. Like, would you rather fight a hundred horses that are the size of a duck or... One duck the size of a horse. I would fight the one duck. Rationale. Why the one duck? There's only one of them. Yes. 
numbers. Very it's purely on strength alone that there would be just hundred, <laughs> and I couldn't cope with a hundred. Yep. If there's only one, and it's a duck, and I have a very strong affinity with ducks. I live uh, big uh, opposite a big lake with lots of ducks, mm-hmm. so it would be a duck because there's only one of them, and I could probably run around it or run underneath its legs if it's as big as a horse. Yep. And I think they would look at me going, because as a vegan, they go, well, I know you don't eat uh, ducks. You don't eat horses either. Yes. But I don't eat ducks and go, hey, you know, we're friends. We're okay. I so they probably look after me. I think it's common knowledge that ducks have the ability to be able to tell a vegan on sight. Oh, it is. That's <laughs> why we have so many ducks outside of our place. Yes. Next one. Would you rather age one year Every time that you sneezed, every sneeze would mean you're a year older, or repeat grades kindergarten through 12 as an adult. So repeating all of your school, primary, high, as an adult. Even before you gave me the second option, I knew I was going to go the second option. I suffer from allergies. Okay, same as me. For me, I'd be dead in a week. Allergy season, I'm done. Oh, I was dead by morning (laughs) tea. I get up in the morning and I'm sneezing, so uh, without a doubt, and... I often think of that concept of, you know, what do you know now that if you'd known as a 20-year-old, for example, would have changed your life. So if I could do school over again, oh my goodness, you know, not only would it be more social and I would would really grasp the opportunity um, that was presented me in a really different way. But Yeah. yeah, no, hands down, go for repeating school. Would you rather be able to only sleep on a couch Five inches shorter than you are, or randomly get more twisted ankles than you normally would in your life. The first one. You would rather sleep on a couch five inches short? Yes, because I curl up when I sleep. Ah, you're a fetal cur- curl. Well, not quite fetal, but certainly I scrunch up enough that I had to convert five inches into yeah. the metric, enough for me to squeeze. So yes. that wouldn't be a problem because I couldn't do the second one. Okay, we're going to end with this last one. Someone asked me, where are you getting this from? The answer is Google. Would you rather be able to jump to the moon, but you are you have spoons for hands? So you can jump to the moon, but your hands are spoons. Okay. Or be able to make food appear at will. At any time, you can make food appear. But it's always a little too salty. Now, And in this scenario, you have normal hands. You're full, fully yeah. normal, yeah. normalized, yes. except for salty food is your production. Yes. You don't have to produce food. I don't know. So I, I lean towards the food because I need food probably more than I need the experience of having been on the moon, I think. So it's almost like a non Have you ever been to the moon? Not you don't know what the experience can be like. I think our children will actually seriously be able to ask that question. Um, and know that some people will answer. Yeah, angel view of the future scientific world. Yeah, there's no doubt in my mind. But yeah. no, it would be the ability to produce food at will, even if it's a little bit salty, mm-hmm. because if that's possible, so would also the opportunity to add something to it to remove the salt, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to balance that out. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Those are all of my questions. And I can say that you passed with flying colors. You got all of the would you rather's. You answered all of them correctly. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Up until now, they've all been incorrect answers, and I, my disappointment level has been high. So really excel. Oh, okay. So I passed. Yes. You did pass. That's fantastic. Great. What's my prize? Uh, you, we get to leave this cold car and warm up. Oh, right. Fantastic. <laughs> I'm about to put my scratchy ja- jacket back on. My, my fingers are cold, so I'm like, <laughs> please let this uh, get to the end. Okay.
I've really enjoyed it, Mark. So thank you for sitting in my car and joining me for the last pleasure. I we... thought we were going to the pub, but that's okay. Yeah, we drove nowhere. <laughs> what an experience. Come into my car, join me. We'll go nowhere. I'll leave it in park. I'm just concerned about people around us who are wondering why all the windows are fogged up. Yes, there, there, is, a part, there is a part of, as people have been leaving, all the cars either side of us have left. So people have seen us. And what they thought of that is up to them. Thanks for listening to Vertical Playcast. And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast? Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for giving. I think I'll pass the guy. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>